This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. There are two types of driving in this world. Two types. I'm not talking about good drivers and drivers from Illinois. I know it's true. I'm talking about two types of driving. There is one type of driving that you might call the A to Z driving. All right, this is the, the driver who is interested in getting from here to there. Wherever there is, that is their sole interest. They want to get from here to there. And typically, they want to get from here to there as what? Fast as possible. That's right. These are the kind of drivers that, listen, you never go fast enough for, right? They're the kind of drivers that don't like any dilly-dallying before taking off or something, right? They, they, they want to go. That driver might be sitting next to you, right? Hence the elbowing. Um, but there is, however, one more type of driving out there, isn't there? There, there is the sightseer driving, right? This is the sightseer driving. You know, this is the person who sure wants to get from A to Z too, but if there's a great stop at B and E and G and so forth, you're right, they, they are all interested, and they, they, and they know that you would love, you would love for nothing more than to stop and to pull over and to explore with them the wonders of Wall Drug in South Dakota, right? Or the largest spool of thread in Missouri, right? This, this this is the sightseer driver. They look at a billboard for Cracker Barrel, not as a trap to be avoided, but a one-hour stop to be enjoyed, right? This is, this is an option to be considered. Somehow, they're, they're still surprised when they're late to get to places. But anyways, right? Two types of drivers. I want you to know, it is possible for these two types of drivers to get married and remain happily married together. <laughs> As my wife and I found out. Uh, living, on, living on the coast, the west coast and the east coast, but having family in the Midwest meant that we figured this out through many 15-hour-plus road trips that we were committed and conquering in one day. And we would be doing this drive. And, and I found out through that, uh, through that experience that when it comes to vacation, I'm I'm the sightseer driver, to my great surprise, right? But I found out that, that if we were going to make it to Pennsylvania in any kind of a decent hour, that we were going to make it back there, that I couldn't stop for all the amazing options along the way. I was going to have to forego seeing Abraham Lincoln's birthplace. I was going to have to forego seeing Valley Forge. I was going to have to forego that sit-down meal at the Dutch Pantry on exit 53, right? I, not if, not if the small children in the back <laughs> and my wife and I were going to keep our sanity, right, on this 15-hour trip. You can't drive like that if you're going to make it for the long haul. Instead, you have to learn to see billboards as sirens from ancient Greece, right? Not as interesting opportunities, and your focus has to be on persevering together in confidence of something much better waiting for you on the other end. And church, we've got some news. 
The longest, hardest haul of your life and mine is the Christian faith we've entered into. As fathers of Jesus Christ, we've been charged with persevering in and handing down the faith that we've received to those who have followed on after us. Sadly, we know that it's not easy. It's, in fact, it's easier said than done. You don't have to be a Christian for very long before billboards start showing up, right? We end up with challenges to our faith by somebody else who maybe is claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and they're starting to influence us with their ideas or with their example or with their books. And these would actually potentially at times be items that would corrode our faith. These billboards are not attractions, they're distractions. And the lies that are present in them would take us off course, not always by a lot, just a little. But you give that trajectory enough time and the consequences and the time wasted by it becomes significant. Now, as if, the, the, as if that set of challenges of billboards wasn't enough, we have our own internal temptations in which we're dealing with, where oftentimes we begin to grow comfortable with and, and, and at ease with ideas or individuals or things that are promoting things contrary to the gospel message, right? And these are a threat to our journey. We might want to disagree even at times with them, but what do we tell ourselves? Well, it's not worth the conflict. Well, we don't really want to make a scene. Well, we don't really want to be difficult about these things, right? And we begin to talk ourselves out of the disagreement with something that we know isn't true, isn't good for us, and will take us in the wrong direction. Sound familiar? Perhaps saddest of all, though, we have watched at times those whom we love. Friends who were in Bible study with us. Right? Maybe kids that we once had in Sunday school. Maybe even a spouse whose faith once inspired our own slowly drift away as these other influencers, worldly ideas, or sensual values infiltrated the scene. They divided and to our human eyes finally destroyed their faith. We've seen that. My guess is that actually for almost all of us in here, we've either had that experience personally or we've watched that experience develop in someone else. And in our longing to guard against distractions and these kinds of corruptions like that, the simple question arises, how? Practically, how? Do we guard against this? How do we persevere for the long haul in our faith? How do we contend for it and for others in it, the others around us, so that they too might persevere? How do we have a faith that then we can hand down to generations of Christians that come after us? How do we do that practically? Well, as we bring in for a landing the basics series today, I can think of no better question for us to consider than this one. How do we persevere in the faith? How do we do this? To answer that for ourselves and for those around us, practically, I want us to look together at three practices from the letter of Jude. So go ahead and turn to there with me, the letter of Jude. Jude is the second to last book in the Bible. Makes it a little easier to find. 
According to the introduction of Jude, we see that it's written by Jude, uh, the brother of James, which was a half-brother of Jesus. And if A equals B and B equals C, we're talking about Jude, who was the half-brother of Jesus as well. Which makes you think, as someone else who once asked, what would it take for you to believe that your older brother was God? (laughs) I can tell you for me, it would take a lot. (laughs) Nigh impossible. Um, But that's who wrote this letter. That's this Jude. And so it's a question, maybe if you're not sure yet what you believe about Jesus, that's worth considering. As we look at this author in the beginning of his letter, we're we're told that he's writing to a group of Christians, a group of Christians that he was familiar with in some way, some shape, some fashion, and he is calling them the people that had been kept, had been preserved for Jesus. Originally, he says that he was intending to write to them about salvation, their common salvation, but because of the situation that was developing with this group of Christians and the false teachers that were entering in these other people who were influencing the situation that he instead chose to write to them to contend for the faith. These Christians that God had preserved, he was calling on them to contend. That is to fight, to quarrel, to, uh, to defend their faith as they persevered. Why? Because certain people were influencing others to pervert the grace of God. As he says in verse 4, that is uh, to twist God's grace. To twist God's grace into saying that sin or some particular sin is okay to do. That this is okay. Grace makes this okay. They may have been an official leader, a teacher. They may not have been. But whoever they were, they were influencing others in that direction. And in the New Testament, we see examples of this. We see examples of people holding on to a false gospel of rule-keeping or holding on to a false gospel of grace-perverting. And it's this latter one that Jude is aiming at to correct this grace-perversion with a plain and simple message that sin is never okay. It's never okay. Presuming upon God's grace isn't a good idea. And then he concludes with our passage here today in verse 17. And here he answers the natural question that his comments would have provoked. The question of how. How do we contend for the faith? How do we make it for the long haul? How do we deal with these kinds of situations? And the answer here lies in the practices of perseverance. Let's take a look at, look at it with me in Jude, verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the, pa- in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. This here is a quote from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, and it's being used here in Jude to bring back to the remembrance these, to these Christians the warning. Verse 19 carries it forward. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you beloved, so here's the contrast, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by sin. 
a church, as we stand back, we look at these verses with these three groups and three commands with three descriptions, which there's quite a theme of that throughout Jude and will be throughout our message today. But these three, as we look at this, this is something for us to embrace. This is a call for us to embrace today just as it was 2,000 years ago. Because friends, hear me on this, we need more than motivational or inspirational messages to persevere in the Christian faith. You need more than some Facebook memes to keep going, all right? You need something stronger than emotionalism. We need to build on the spiritual realities that underpin our preservation and on the, the prescribed biblical practices of perseverance, that's what we need to do. And so how do we need to persevere for the long haul? Well, Jude's got these three things. Practical perseverance remembers, remains, and renders mercy. Practical perseverance remembers, remains, and renders mercy. See, Jude gets what we so oftentimes fail to grasp. And that's that when we are looking at this life, that there is a spiritual situation going on and that perseverance in the Christian life doesn't just happen. This life is not some kind of neutral civil conversation happening. It's not a discussion. It's a battlefield. In reality, the ideas that we encounter, the practices that we encounter, the people that we encounter are not always what they seem. That actually danger is present. All right, Jude and the robot from Lost in Space would have something in common. They'd be looking at little naive Will Robinson and saying, danger is present, right? But he's dead serious. He's dead serious, which is why we see the warnings littered throughout the scriptures. Warnings to guard your heart. Warnings to take captive every thought. Warnings to put on the whole armor of God. Warnings to stand firm against evil schemes. These are not mild suggestions, this is a picture of a battlefield. More is going on in your world and mine than meets the eye. And deliberate perseverance then is necessary. It does not just happen. No, that is in fact the whole idea behind the catchword throughout the book of Jude of keep. Of keep. Found here, we can look at it in three different places. First of all, we see that Jude is talking, again, to those who God has preserved. I mentioned this with verse 1. That they are those who then are to persevere, as we read in verse 21. And then after this passage, we're told that it is the, those who God is able to preserve, able to keep them from stumbling, in verse 24. Our perseverance and God's preserving power here are pictured as two sides of the same coin of our assurance as Christians on who will overcome in the end. As one scholar put it, the paradox of divine keeping and human responsibility remains intact. On the one hand, God is ultimately responsible for the care of his people. On the other hand, believers themselves are obliged to remain actively in the place of divine keeping, right? This is the Christian life. This is the Christian life that God has called us into. And there is a side of this in which our responsibility is present with perseverance. There are three commands and their descriptions that are then given here to provide us with an understanding of practically how to persevere in the faith. 
And as we follow them, we contend for passing along a faith to the next generation, an intact message of the gospel of grace, one that is not perverted. And here's the very first practice. Practical perseverance remembers. Practical perseverance remembers. I remember in college watching an observation test. Uh, maybe you, you've taken one of these, maybe you haven't. But uh, I remember watching this, and the, the, the test, uh, you're told by the narrator, and I'm thinking, I'm going to ace this thing, right? And I'm watching this, the narrator says, watch this group of guys who's all forming a circle and count exactly how many passes this basketball that they have makes around the circle. And so I'm in there, and I'm watching, counting, one, two, right, you know, all this kind of stuff. I get 13, that was what I had. And, uh, and so then at the end of the video, the narrator comes back on, and he, he, he lets uh, you know the answer to the problem. He, he says that there were 13 passes. I'm thinking, man, whew, pass that one. But then he goes on. He says, there were 13 passes, but did you notice the dancing bear on the right side of the screen? <laughs> And, and sure enough, he, they do the replay of it. And as they're passing the basketball around that I'm carefully watching, a guy comes out in a bear costume and does the moonwalk on the right side of the screen. And I miss it completely. Why? Because I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't looking for it. I was watching all of the activity, not paying attention for that. But in verse 17, church, this is why Jude says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you in the last time there would be scoffers. The reason why we're told to remember this is so that we are looking for this. So we don't miss the moonwalking bear in the midst of all the activity that's happening. And church, we've been warned in advance that there will be scoffers. People in the church who have contempt. That's what a scoffer is. Somebody has contempt for the gospel and for the gospel's authority and for the gospel's implications on life. And yes, even for the God then of the gospel. Yet they will call themselves Christians. And yes, we know that this will happen with groups of people outside of the church, but Jude's focus is not on them. Jude's focus is on those inside the church. And that means that for some of us, we have been wrongfully surprised. We, let me say that again. We have been wrongfully surprised when we find out that someone has cropped up in this class or in that group or has embraced that book and, and is now encouraging others to do likewise, causing division. We're surprised by that wrongfully. Rather, we are to recognize that that is what was told, foretold, would happen. And when that happens, not if, but when this happens, we need to remember these verses and not just walk away from the situation, but rather seek to address these false teachings with truth. According to Jude, by the way, this is a warning to contend that's given to all the church, not a select few. Not a select few. That includes you then. You are called to contend. And so maybe you're familiar with the old saying. Somebody thought somebody was doing something, so nobody did anything. We can be guilty of that, church. 
that in our own home, where we have a circle of influence, in our own Bible study, where we have a circle of influence, we've given that responsibility to somebody else. We're expecting somebody else to do the job that God has called you and I to do. We can't do that. We can't do that. We have to embrace this responsibility. Now, the description for this dancing bear, and we don't, by the way, we don't take that responsibility for every group out there, but we take it for our own spheres. We should pay attention then. The description of this dancing bear here is helpful for us as we go about that. They are people who seek to cause division rather than build up. They seek to share in the world's values rather than in holiness, and they don't actually have the Holy Spirit in them. So let's be clear here. What does it mean to be marked by the Spirit's presence? It is, by the way, progression of spiritual fruit, not spiritual gifts or experiences that mark somebody as having the Holy Spirit. So, what else here? If we encounter then that kind of person, and they're trying to exercise that kind of influence with that kind of teaching, then we would want to start by first going directly to that person, expressing our concern, and expressing the truth. That would be our practice. And friend, as we practice perseverance that remembers out here, we want to look at this with a warning to recognize the dancing bear out there, but also with a warning with ourselves because practical perseverance remains. Practical perseverance remains. There are two phone calls in my life that I don't think I'll ever forget. Both were from friends of mine that I had deep friendships with. Both of them were on opposite sides of the country. Both of them were uh, friends that I had gone to Bible college with. Guys I had served with. Guys I had prayed with. Guys I had wept with. And both were calling because they had crashed and cashed in on their faith. One for atheism and one for homosexuality. And they were calling me to let me know about it. Those kinds of moments tear your heart out. But they also, as we look at the scriptures, they serve as examples for why we need personally to hear the call to persevere. In a moment, we'll examine Jude's Jude's, uh, practice for handling someone who claims to be a follower of Christ but seems to be falling prey to deception or a twisting of the scriptures or worldly values. But first, we need to see Jude's description of our own personal practice of perseverance as part of the call to keep, as to remain in the love of God. Jude's words here, they have striking similarities to the passage that Keith read earlier of John 15, to abide in Christ. They have striking similarities to Galatians 5, to keep in step with the Spirit. And here we see the practical picture of what that looks like as staying with God. Think of this as tuning an instrument and wanting to stay exactly on the right note. Jude has three descriptions for this kind of practice of remaining. The first one is in verse 20. He says, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. All right, so rather than causing division, these people are building. The practice of remaining then is uh, with faith calls for intentional work of growing, building ourselves up. The Christian faith then, think of it like a ball on a hill. It's either going up or it's going down, but staying still, not very likely, right? 
This is why the practice with spiritual disciplines daily and training ourselves to live life differently and growing in holiness, all of that matters. Verse 20, we see another one, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is not the idea of speaking in tongues per se, but rather praying under the authority, the prompting, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is a prayer life then that is categorized by the desire and request for God's will to be done. That's that kind of prayer life. One more here. Waiting, verse 21, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So here we have a question. What are you looking forward to? What are you checking the clock, wondering if it's time for yet, right? For those who are remaining in Christ, they are eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. These are three practices that you have oftentimes heard preached here, spiritual disciplines, actions that we are to be taking. And as we are putting those into practice, then you won't be surprised to find yourself uh, not falling for certain deceptions or after initially falling for them, finding them consistently confronted by the scriptures that we're engaging with because we're daily building on our faith and truth. Right? Or we look at this and we recognize that we won't be uh, needing to fake a relationship with God because we're praying by the Holy Spirit. Our prayer life will take on new depths. Finally, we can avoid the, and resist the traps of worldly values because our great hope then isn't in this life, but in the eternal life to come with Christ. Friend, it's important when it comes to persevering in your own faith that you practice remaining in Christ. You will undoubtedly, if you do that, then be faced with how to help someone else who is not persevering. Again, the question is how do we, <laughs> we together, right, persevere in our faith for the long haul? So how then do we help somebody else who isn't persevering? Here's how. Mercy. Mercy. Practical perseverance renders mercy. As we carefully um, look back through verse 22 and 23 here, we see three groups of people who are confessing to be Christians who are struggling or presently failing to persevere. Verse 22, we have it. Look back at it with me here. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by sin. We see in these verses that there's a painful progression present. I know this congregation, and I know that for many of us, this is a hard part of our stories. Many of us have children, or we have loved ones that fit this description. And so we need to examine this thoughtfully. But this morning, you know, if that's not you, praise God. Um, bear with your spiritual families as they uh, work through this. We look at this a little carefully here. But realize that this situation may be the situation that's facing you in the years to come. So let's break this down. First of all, who are we dealing with here? 
Who are these who are being pictured? In the two verses, Jude gives us a spectrum uh, from someone who's doubting their faith to then moving forward to another who's pictured as being now close to the fire, right? This is someone who's moved from doubts to sinful actions. And finally, then we have others who require caution in approaching, Caution and approaching because they have now been marred by a pattern of sin. When we consider this in real life, this spectrum is actually very helpful for the persevering believer, not for the one who's doubting, not for the one who's deceived, but for the one who has persevered and is now looking to help the other persevere as well. Now, to be sure, as we look at this, we are asking questions. As we look at the spectrum of someone on here, we're considering what are they believing in light of the scriptures and what are they doing in light of the scriptures? And those two things are tied together. If your son's actions are out of order, then his heart, that is his desires, his motivations, his beliefs are out of order. And the inverse is true as well. But he may only be at the starting line. It might not yet be three miles down the road with one or the other. It might just be beginning that trajectory. Nevertheless, many of us hear a comment or we see an action, and our temptation with these comments, you know, maybe a doubt or, or of a sinful action, our temptation is to brush it off. Just brush off. Just pretend with the other person that everything they're believing, everything they're doing is fine. It's fine. Right? In particular, many times we are most tempted to do this with children and with spouses, people we are closest to. We are tempted to uh, look and pretend that this one we love dearly, that even though their behaviors and their beliefs neither offer assurance of their faith, we want to pretend that they're fine, that they're still a Christian, that they're whatever we want to fill in the blank with. Listen, pretending won't help anyone. It won't help anyone. But mercy will. Mercy will. And that's where we go with this. The practice that's called for here is mercy. Practical perseverance renders mercy. That is showing and sharing truth and kindness with someone when what they deserve is their own deception and punishment. This means that for someone who's in the case of doubting, our first reaction should be to slow down and to listen well for what is the person really saying, <laughs> and then to lovingly respond with the truth. This may be a one-time or a multiple meeting experience. However, recognizing the doubt is present is important because doubt doesn't stay put forever. It doesn't just sit idly by forever. Eventually, doubts move to action, moves to action, that this person moves towards sin. When we see that happening, Jude describes the next movement in the spectrum of mercy. The noun mercy is pictured as snatching. It's snatching. Imagine a paper ball that you've uh, tossed into a campfire, and it didn't land in the flames because you have as bad as good of aim as I do, and it just lands beside it, just close to it. This is the opportunity that's presented here. That's the picture. And it's the picture of snatching that up before the flames consume it. We are to attempt a quick 
intervention of that person upon discovery. You, you are to lovingly challenge their behavior in hopes that they will turn around, that their heart is not yet inclined further to sin, instead to persevere. Again, this may be a one-time, or this may be a multiple-time experience. But, and finally, we need to realize this, that if the person doesn't turn around, they will eventually keep moving forward, and there will be serious consequences. Eventually, that paper ball is going to roll on into the flames. And here, Jude's word to us is caution. Caution in mercy. It's advised. Outwardly, we might not even be able to any longer tell if this person is saved. We can rest assured from the scriptures that if this person is saved, that they will be under the heavy discipline of God. But mercy with this person is still to be shown in such a way, though, that does not fuel and does not enable sin. Because that wouldn't be mercy. Think of it this way. Someone once told a story of watching an emperor moth trying to climb out of a cocoon. Right? After watching this struggle go on and on and on and so forth, uh, the guy got into his idea that he would get out a pair of scissors and just kind of snip a small hole in the cocoon so that the moth could, could get out. Not realizing that by design, by design, the struggle of getting out of the cocoon forces fluid up through the, the wings of the moth, allowing it to live allowing its wings to mature. The merciful snip wasn't mercy at all, after all. And church, when it comes to this, when it comes to terms with the truth, with someone who's struggling to persevere, that this is not a place for us to fix, this is a place for us to be faithful. I want us to hang on to that. This is not a place for us to fix. This is, though, a place for us to be faithful. We persevere rendering mercy, truth, and kindness based on God's design. Where we don't pretend, we warn, right? We don't stay silent. We intervene with kindness, but we don't enable sin. We keep our hand, as it were, with this person right there on the exit door in case they decide to come out of the fire. We don't walk away. We're waiting faithfully, ready for them to turn around. Rendering godly mercy is done so in a way that respects God's discipline, knowing that he loves this person far more than we could ever imagine. And it's that truth in showing mercy that keeps us faithful. After all, friends, as we bring this together, we are rendering mercy as one who has received mercy and is looking forward to the mercy that is to come. We're looking forward to the mercy that comes from the one who's called the great and mighty one. The one who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory. Church, it is to that end and that day that we are motivated to drive, to remain, to render mercy, to remember the warnings, and that our Savior, who persevered on our behalf, who pulled us from the eternal flames that we were headed for, that it is He who's come. And so come what may, 
that the pressures and the losses of life, even though they mount up, that all of them, making it, persevering, it was all worth it. It was all worth it for the surpassing greatness of him who is our destination. That's why we persevere for the long haul. Let's pray. God, we recognize we need your persevering power to remain faithful. And yet, God, we are so comforted by your word that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Because, Father, in all of our lives, we can look back at places and moments and times, seasons, when we were not, and yet you were. And so, Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy of all of our praise, all of our worship, all of our adoration, and our perseverance. Because your goodness knows no bounds, your faithfulness knows no bounds, and you brought us out. So, Lord, preserve us. Keep us faithful.